I posted on Facebook about this, but it's still bothering me because I can't change the settings in my phone. I don't understand why Apple is stupid. Now, I have Apple products, but I also have Google products. So I'm not like fanboy Apple, but I like for most of my electronics to match, but I am so mad at a few things with the Apple iPhone. Now, I have the 11, and I assume this is the same for all of them, but the voice-to-text is driving me crazy. And I try to use it when I'm driving because I want to be safe on the road. Now, you may argue, Paul, you don't even need to be doing voice-to-text. Wait till you get where you're going and then reach out. And that may be your practice. Sometimes it's mine. But I do try to make sure the phone's not in my hands, so I'm not texting. So I have my hands-free little phone holder attached to my dashboard. And if I'm trying to send a text to my wife and I want to get it to her before I get where I'm going, I click the little microphone and then I say, Hey, babe, I'm probably going to pick up the stuff you mentioned on the way home. I'll be there about 7. Apple does its awesome job of translating and transcribing what I said. And it comes back with, hey, babe, the baseball parks and two hot dogs are backwards in the shop of the shed, two, two, four, comma. And I go, what the hell is that even about? I never said any of those words. And then I have to find a way to click on the little message that it transcribed to replace the words with the correct words while I'm swerving on the highway. And yes, I have to do it. You can't. Wait, you have to do it right then. Voice to text is more dangerous than me just texting with my fast mongoose-like thumbs. Back to my post I made a few days ago. When I put LOL, why the hell does it change it to all caps? Number one, 97, I think I looked it up, 97.4% of the time when someone puts LOL in a text or on Messenger, they are not laughing. They are not laughing out loud. I think almost 98% of the time I've sent LOL to someone, I have the straightest stone face you've ever seen in my life. Even if you just sent the funniest meme and the funniest joke. LOL. But for some reason, Apple changes that to caps as if I am laughing out loud caps style. It's been very rare if ever I've ever laughed out loud from a text, much less capital LOL. I don't understand why it decides to (laughs) increase that LOL to gigantic LOL. It does the same thing with on my way. I'm leaving work or I'm coming back from somewhere that I've been and I want to tell my wife I'm on my way. OMW, you know, short code. It changes it to the full sentence on my way. And for some bizarre ass reason, it adds an exclamation point. Why would I be that excited to be on my way? I've never been so excited to be on my way somewhere that I've put an exclamation point (laughs) and I hate seeing it. And so I have to delete it. And if I put OMW, it changes it again. I hate Apple, but I'm probably going to get the 12 pretty soon. Where did that come from?
Have you ever heard someone say, let's paint the town red? Have you ever wondered where that came from? Let's dig deeper. The phrase or saying paint the town red most likely got its origins from a very legendary night that was started from alcohol and ended in pure, unadulterated drunkenness. As legend goes, in 1837, the Marquis of Waterford, which was a very well-known, mischievous person, let a group of his buddies got his pals together, and they decided to go out on a night, and they were going to drink like they'd never drank before. They decided to take their adventure through the small English town of Melton Mowbray. This partying began to escalate, as it often does, their drunkenness began to pour over the edges quite literally as they began to vandalize the small town. At first they began to knock over flower pots and then they would break out windows of some of the town's buildings. They would pull knockers off of doors. And to top it all off, this drunken group decided to literally paint a toll gate as well as several doors of several homes and even a swan statue with red paint. The Marquis and his pranksters later did pay for the damages they caused, but that night in 1837 is most likely the reason that Paint the Town Red became synonymous for a wild night out. I thought about dedicating an entire podcast episode to the topic of underrated, overrated, and just have a list of different items to go through. But instead, maybe I'll just take some of those and sprinkle them in here and there throughout the episodes. As far as underrated, obviously, this is going to be very subjective. And most of the time, depending on when you were born, how you were raised, what your interactions were, it's going to vary. Some of my underrateds may be very much overrated for you. When thinking about things that are underrated, I noticed that my list had a lot of nostalgia attached to it. And that's okay, because I think that's kind of part of how it works. Your mind takes you back to another time. It remembers when. So to start with, one of the items on my underrated list was a place that I would frequent, especially every Tuesday. Every Tuesday in the late 90s, Music was released. Now, right there, most of you are going to go, um, you just didn't click play on Spotify? On Fridays, don't you mean? No, see, back then, kids, there was no such thing as streaming services. Which I often wonder, how the hell did I get through life then? With the luxury of the internet and things I do today, I don't know how I managed, but somehow I did. But one thing that I would do, and most people would do, being that going online was not a thing and streaming music was not a thing yet, you had to go into stores and purchase CDs, compact disc, for you young ones out there. You may want to go on Google and image search it. On Tuesdays, music was released, new music was released, and myself and my brothers or myself and some friends would go up to, would go up to a store called Blockbuster Music. I understand this is going to date me, but I'm okay with who I am. 
it's always weird when people make fun of you for being old. Like, there's only one alternative. So if I have to keep aging, I guess I'll go with that one. But blockbuster music. And it was underrated because at the time you didn't appreciate what you had. Now, obviously, today, the convenience we have outweighs most of this. But still, there was always something about waiting for a Tuesday to show up, going into the blockbuster music store, and they had like this, almost like a bar area that you could sit at. But you weren't ordering a cocktail. You were not ordering a Jack and Coke. You were going to tell them what CD you would like to listen to. It was a pretty complicated process, but it was the best that could be done at that time. And Blockbuster Music, they were innovative. They were developing this to have these easy access to music because the only other way to get the music or listen to it if you didn't go to Blockbuster Music was to simply buy the CD. And at that time, you didn't have the luxury of listening to a CD to find out if you wanted to own it. Like Spotify right now, of course, you pay a monthly subscription, but it's 14 bucks a month and you can listen to anything you want to. Blockbuster Music Days was almost $20 for one CD and you had no idea if it was good or not. You may know the artist, but you had no idea if this was going to have 10 good hits or one good hit. There was still radio play, so it wasn't Caveman Days, but still. So what we would do is go into this Blockbuster Music. Hopefully there was an open seat at this bar because it was limited. And you would sit down at this music bar and you would tell the pimple-faced teenager behind the counter what CD you were looking for. So I would roll up, take a seat, and he would ask me what I want to listen to. And I'd be like, um, you got that Tupac All Eyes on Me? Or maybe, let me check out that Marilyn Manson Antichrist Superstar. Or how about some Outcast? And then he would go, grab a CD, open it up, place it into their CD player, and then hand you some headphones. And you had the controls to kind of skip through the tracks. Now again, for most of you... <laughs> <laughs> who were born not in the 70s and 80s. That probably sounds very archaic. But there was just a joy, an adrenaline rush of having the controls because, again, this was innovative at that time. This was something new. Before this, all we had was hoping the radio would play something or going out and buying the CD, which wasn't always convenient for young teenagers that didn't have jobs. So the rush of getting to go through the music and hear it all, and in fact, most of the time, I would just listen to music just because it was released that day. I'm a big music fan still to this day, but I would just listen to music, whether I liked the artist or not, because it was new, and you kind of had that little bit of a control, hey, get that one, let me hear that one now, and then they would open them up for you. Sometimes you get lucky and someone already listened to that CD earlier before you got there, so they would just play that same disc. But there was just something about Tuesdays at Blockbuster Music, sitting at the music bar, enjoying the newest releases, knowing that you weren't going to buy anything. <laughs> or at least I wasn't. They also had, at that same time, singles. Like a full album would be released, but they would also have the singles from that same full album. Most of the time, the singles were released before the album came out and had some radio play. And they would have the singles you could purchase for like 4 or $5 each. Really weird times. Can you guys believe there was a time that you couldn't stream music? Blockbuster Music, sadly, was sold, I think, in like 98, 99, and is no longer such a thing. Definitely underrated. Takes me back. Do you guys remember Blockbuster Music on a Tuesday?
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the decision. So the decision that my family and I are making to move has been in the making for a long time. And I really feel like I need to give a little bit of a prelude. And the fact that I feel like I have to do that will come together as I continue to explain a few things. But I already feel like this is probably something I shouldn't record. And I say that because I figure of the 40 or so listeners I have, at least 20% of that is probably close family or friends. And there's the risk that people could feel like I'm pointing the finger or maybe get upset. Again, that probably won't happen. Good old Dr. Phil says, you would stop worrying about what people thought about you if you knew how seldom they did. There's a lot of truth in that quote. But still, the personality in me, the sensitivity, the uh, levels of emotion I can have, I can get in my own head about things. I understand that that's a possibility. I don't get a ton of feedback and even less from family. In fact, I don't even know that my family knows I have a podcast. But hopefully by the time I get done with this first episode on this subject, there'll be an understanding of where I'm coming from. I understand that there's a risk-reward factor here. With the podcast, as always, I share struggles and I share victories. And the overall goal, even in something like this, which is pretty common, people moving and making changes and starting over, I hope to find commonality and to provide insight. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you have answers. Maybe it worked better for you. Maybe it didn't work for you. And if you never mentioned anything to me at all, at least I know in my mind there's that chance that something clicked. So enough of the theatrics. I mentioned I'm going to break this podcast up into episodes around the move that my family and I are making. And this first episode, I really want to spend some time on the decision process and how Nicole and I came to this moment. And while there is at least three contributing factors, I'll be honest and say that some way more than the others. I briefly introduced some of these thoughts in the previous episode. One of the main reasons that we're moving is that we feel like it's Nicole's turn. I won't repeat everything I said, but for the most part, Nicole and I have been in Texas for several, several, several years with her mother's side of the family. And of course, my family lives here, while all of Nicole's dad's side of the family lives on the East Coast, including her sister, several aunts and uncles, grandparents, etc. So we always had it in our mind that we would try to move to the East Coast at some point but we had to make sure the timing was right. And a big motivation was because we wanted to spend some time with her other family. I mentioned that her grandparents obviously are getting older. Sometimes health issues and risks come into play. She already knows that she's missed a lot of time. We want to make sure we get there with time to invest. One of the big hurdles we had to get past was the timing. And we already knew that the kids were going to play a big part of that because my older children were both heavily involved in sports and dance and high school. Of course, they've been in Texas their entire lives. So you have the friendship roots that have been grown. And as I mentioned earlier, family members, cousins, etc. So we always had to make sure the timing on that part was right. And so it made sense being that Cassidy and Aiden were so close in age that we would wait for Aiden to graduate And then we would make the change while Caleb was still younger in the sixth grade. That time is quickly approaching. We're two months away from Aiden graduating. And that's the window of time that we've been planning for and waiting for. 
We almost moved once before, but again, finances and the children were a big reason why that detour took place. But now everything has lined up for the most part. There's still a few doors that seem sealed shut that we're hoping will open up. Not that they would stop us from moving, but if they open, it'll make it a lot easier. Things related to my job and Nicole's job, stuff like that. So unless something incredibly drastic, life-changing, earth-shattering happens between now and June, this is the decision we've made, this is the decision we're making, and we are on our way out. So aside it being Nicole's turn, and aside waiting for the children to have the right space of time, the third thing, and I guess that's where the focus of this particular episode will be, has always been, is there something more? And now I'm going to try to delicately walk you through some of the thought processes and things that we have dealt with and looked at and faced. I have mentioned this before in way earlier podcast. What the title of this podcast is Friendships, Family Tradition. That's why this podcast is called Friends in No Places. So I know I've mentioned this before. I've reached out to I've reached out on Facebook. I've talked to different people. I've tried to get insight. For the most part, our experience with family and friends doesn't seem too unfamiliar to many of the people we've talked to, which is both eye-opening as well as a little sad. And what I mean by that is it seems that a lot of families are broken and not necessarily to where they hate each other or they don't talk at all, but they're just not as tight as they could be. They don't have that natural tradition. They don't have regularly, they don't have regular gatherings. They don't have times that they always look forward to. More than that, when they do get together, it's a time of uplift, of happiness and uplifting and people are smiling and laughing and encouraging and being in each other's corner. Like that doesn't happen for the most part. Maybe a little bit of my false pretense is that I've seen too many television shows, watched too many episodes of Parenthood. and So I don't live in a fairy tale land to where I think, oh my God, we're going to have 500 friends. We're going to party. We're going to party every weekend. Family is going to be nonstop in and out of the house with tons of invites and tons of accepting invites. And it's just going to be, it's just going to be family dinner after family dinner and parties and laughing and always fun, always something going on. I don't live in that fantasy land. Please forgive me as I try to maybe excuse or express how I'm feeling about why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Wow, that was complicated. So I don't live in a fantasy land that there's this parenthood family out there or friendships out there. And that's really proven by the fact that a lot of people share similar experiences. Even us as a family of five are about to experience just natural separation based on the decisions that my older children are making. And that's just the natural process of life, of them pursuing college and sports. That is going to cause a separation between us. So I'm aware that this does happen. I'm aware that that's part of it. The relationships for Nicole and I are lacking. But I think there's at least a few reasons why. And some of that has, as I just mentioned with my kids and going to college, has just happened naturally based on the decisions Nicole and I have made in our life. And I'll try to walk through some of those. Hopefully this is interesting. I'm not sure how interesting, but maybe you can relate to it. But number one, I don't live in a fantasy world that I think it's just going to be nonstop parties and family dinners. I don't have that fantasy. I understand that what we're experiencing, several other people experience. 
In fact, I've heard if you have two to three good friends by the time you're in your 30s and 40s, that's doing pretty well. And that's probably where we are. We do have friends. We have very close friends. There's been a few of them. (laughs) I have to tiptoe through some of this. There's a few of them that have actually even started to show interest in the fact that we're moving. It was quiet there for a while and it was a little bit concerning. But the interesting thing about those who have reached out is that you would think those would be the last ones to reach out. In fact, the closest ones are you what you define as the closest in your own mind have kind of been a little quiet about it. And that could go two different ways. Either they're so busy that they're not really thinking about it. Maybe they're in denial because we have kind of cried wolf a little bit about this. Or maybe it's just not necessarily the number one thing on their list to be concerned about. I don't believe that anybody in our circle and our friends hates us and can't wait for us to leave and they're celebrating the day we leave. I don't believe that, okay? But I know that life has dealt many different things across many different families. And so it kind of starts to shape itself. And sometimes it looks like there's missing pieces. I know for a fact that there's probably a list of five to 10 people that if something happened at 2 a.m. and I needed assistance immediately, I could call and that phone call would be answered and action would be taken. And I don't say that lightly. That's pretty significant. Five to 10 people in your life that would drop what they're doing in the middle of the night to come help you with whatever the situation was, that's saying something. That is a big time plus. In fact, in some of our most severe situations, there have been abundance of people stepping up and friendships and family circling us, providing strength, helping us get through it. But like always, and just like I've played a part in this, and I'll get to that, those times fade away after the emergency of the situation has let off. More of the problem Nicole and I have are the sustained friendships to where someone doesn't have to be on fire in order to get together. Like there doesn't have to be a 2 a.m. emergency. It's the in-between those big moments of life that force people together that it's really been vacant. And I promise you, let me get a little transparent. I have spent so much time, we have spent so much time, probably too much. We have spent so much time digging into the makeup of who we are as people. I mentioned at the very opening of this segment, the sensitivity and emotions that we both carry. And I'll jump into this a little bit further in a few minutes, but I spend so much time trying to figure out what am I doing wrong? What did I do wrong? This relationship was so tight for so many years and now there's nothing there. Something, just by logic, something happened. Maybe not necessarily something huge, but there was definitely a change. And the part that seems common through different friendships and relationships and family member relationships is that there has been a change, but nobody can speak to what the change was, what caused it. In fact, frustratingly, is that a word? Most of the time, oblivious is the adjective and there's a pretend like nothing changed, which is even more infuriating because it's like, wait, (laughs) <laughs> you can just look back. It's like watching a movie. And then after you don't watch the movie with a group of people, you start discussing the movie and there's like, we didn't watch a movie, but you have the movie still paused and you're like, no, it's right there. And like, what? There's no movie. We've spent a lot of time doing 
inner searching, trying to figure out what are we doing wrong? Because I'm also a big believer in common denominators. If the common denominator of 10 friendships that have failed or several family member relationships that have failed is Nicole and I, if I'm going to be honest and be on board with finger pointing, that would say that, wait, well, maybe there's something going on with you and Nicole. All those friendships fell apart. And so I'll get into a little bit of that, but backing up, we do have close friends. We do have close family members. We can call on people if we need help. The in-between is the part that has started to weigh very heavily on our hearts. We'll pause that thought and let me back up a little bit further. I mentioned some of this being just the way life has fallen into our hands based on decisions we've made. And Nicole and I have had to restart life a couple of times. And I don't mean to exaggerate, but quite literally, we've had to restart. Number one, Nicole and I are both from out of state. Of course, we came here fairly young. I believe Nicole, and I'm going to get this wrong and she's going to yell at me. I want to say she was around 12. Is that right, babe, while you're listening? She came down from New York. I was born in Ohio. I came down around seven. Obviously, we didn't meet until way later. But one of the very first restarts we had was that moment. Of course, seven and 12 years old is fairly young, but you have built some friendship. So we left the places we knew, the friendships we had, and we moved to Texas. And we had a rebuild at that point. Now for me, I became heavily invested in the school and church I was raised in. I've spoken several times about some of those experiences. But I grew up in the church and the school and was invested fully with sports and activities. It was all my life was. And all of my friends, if you didn't go to that church, you weren't my friend. And if you didn't go to the school, I didn't know you. There was all of the outings and everything was involved with the church. So it was literally the same 150, 200 people daily, weekly, all the time. And obviously, spending that much time together, several friendships were blossomed out of that. I had several friends that came out of that situation. My wife was doing the same thing in her public school. When I met my wife, she then joined me in the church and she started to build those same relationships as well. And this was built for years. I'm trying to think of the exact time. I never researched my own podcast before I start talking, but let's just go with eight. I think it was more than that. But let's say it was eight years of investment to where Nicole was involved with the women's ministry and all the girls that went to the church. And I was involved with the men's groups and, and sports and, and activities with the youth group. So all we knew was that church. And we built those, what I thought was true, strong friendships. There did eventually come a time to where Nicole and I felt it was time for her and I to move on from the church. Contrary to popular belief, not move on from God, by the way, but to move on from the church. And when we did that, I'll call it Facebook fatalities happened at a record pace. I think some of it was led on by false information and some gossip and just some people, if you didn't do it their way, you're not really who they should be around or like. And Facebook fatalities, social media is not everything, but it is a thing, was taking place left and right, especially for me for some reason. I think that's because I was a little more vocal. Just a little insert. We had lost our daughter, coincidentally, right before the time Nicole and I were already planning on moving on from the church is because we felt it was time for us to move on. But that complicated things emotionally. And so what it ended up doing as collateral damage was severing several friendships 
that I thought would last a lifetime. I was hearing things like, well, we're not in the same church anymore. Or we don't run in the same circle. So it's not really, it doesn't really make sense that we hang out anymore. And I was floored by it. My friends on Facebook were dropping by the dozens. Some of it was very petty. In fact, before that part, I remember when Obama was elected into office. All you Christians remember that the world was going to end when Obama was elected. And my Facebook that election day was filled with people just ranting and going off about Obama and how the world's over. And I simply responded with a status, maybe a little passive aggressive at the most, saying that, man, these are the Christians that are speaking. I thought God was on the throne and God's in control. What is all this weak faith, weak minded stuff going on? And missionaries were deleting. <laughs> missionaries were deleting me on Facebook. And citing that very reason, like it wasn't like a guest. They sent me a message to say, I don't think we should be friends anymore because you're supporting Obama. Very weird situation. Even some of the closer friends that Nicole and I had personally were dropping off. So this was another literal reset. Like I knew we were going to switch churches, but I thought we would carry the friendships with us. In fact, isn't it all God's family and don't all the churches work together towards him? Like, that's the kind of thought I had on it. But we were wiped out. We were zeroed back to clean slate. And it was a start over situation for us from the ground up while we were adults married with children and trying to figure out, OK, well, now all the friends we had are wiped out. What do we do now? As I mentioned, we immediately got into the church we were already kind of looking at and tried to start building relationships there and life groups and smaller groups and things like that. But it never picked up the same pace. I think that first restart for us was a big shift in how the rest of our life would go, because it only makes sense if we were still in the previous church. Arguably, we would have the same friendships that would be even deeper rooted. And so we would have those people to lean on and to talk to. But that was just all yanked out from underneath us. That was something we never thought would have happened. And so now we were put in a position to where not only are we trying to get accustomed to a new church and a new part of town. And now we were having to, hey, we can't talk to them anymore because we're not in the same circle, having to rebuild. So we got into a mindset. And if I could tell you, what do they say? If I could have a dollar for every time, if I had a dollar for every time Nicole and I sat down across the dinner table, our pillow talk and said, what is wrong with us? Are we not friendly? <laughs> what, why can't we get anything going? We've, I, I would be, I would at least have $170. It's not a lot of money, but I would have at least $170. Sometimes I'm biased on this podcast, as you guys know. But we would spend hours talking about what is wrong with us. And let's take me out of the equation, okay? I, I bring a lot of problems sometimes to a situation, but let me just talk about Nicole. For anybody that knows her, and I mean knows her, not seen her on Facebook or seen her in Color Street Post, but anybody that knows her, she may be one of the nicest people ever to walk this earth. And I can say that without saying I'm being biased. She's just nice she thinks of others she's trying to do things for other people she reaches out she encourages she has people's back if someone calls her or needs her she's there 
even in some of the most darkest moments of her life when she's been hurt and grieving, she's still planned and pursued and done things for other people. So if the problem is Nicole and I, which it could be, and I'm not being facetious, I wish there was someone that would just come up and say, you know what, I'll speak up. All these other people haven't, but it is you guys and here's why. Number one, like I wish that that kind of thing would happen. In these talks that Nicole and I have to find out, what are we missing that we're the only ones that invite, most of our invites are denied. If we do end up at someone else's house, it's because we kind of invited ourselves. Like, what is going on with that? The friendships that we try to build fall apart. What is happening? What are we doing wrong? Back to that common denominator idea. If Nicole and I are the common denominator for one relationship or two relationships, maybe. But when it's like 5, 10, 15 different situations, are we just that bad at picking friends? Or is there something that we're doing maybe we don't even know about that's causing them to fail? One thing I am aware of, I've mentioned it a few times, is our sensitivity level. In fact, this is one thing that some people have kind of stepped up to the plate to mention, like, you guys are a little too sensitive. You you take stuff a little too seriously. While I won't say that being sensitive or emotional about things is a weakness, I know any strength or weakness can be extreme. And so I can admit that I'm aware that the sensitivity level that I have just as a natural person with character and personality has been some of a somewhat of a turnoff to certain people. There's been example upon example, unfortunately, of me misreading a situation or taking something too seriously or causing a divide or reacting in the moment that I can go back and put my finger on and say, man, I, I took that way too serious. I let my heart be on my sleeve and I reacted. And now it's been two years since any type of recovery. I can see those moments. I can embrace them and I can admit to them. So I'm aware of that. I know that that is most likely one of the causes of some of these relationships that have been divided. Now, at the same time, I wish those people who I did that to or who felt that way would simply say that because I feel like there's still a relationship to be salvaged. I don't think it's just to throw everything out and just give up. So I'm aware of that, that our sensitivity level is sometimes cranked up too high and that can come out in situations that are off-putting. It's just, if you feel like you have to be on pins and needles or walk on eggshells with somebody, that you don't want to be around them because you want to try to be yourself or whatever. And so I can understand how that would be unattractive. At the same time, I mentioned us having to start over after that church switch. In the years to follow, I know that Nicole and I have come on strong way too early in some situations. We can probably come on too strong to where I'm feeling like we've hung out with one couple one time and I'm like, these people may be our godparents. Like it goes too far. And I think that is a snowball ripple effect from the previous things that life has put in our path. It's a situation to where we meet somebody new or even this has even happened with some of my work friends that are still friends I could call on two in the morning, but I don't hear from them unless I reach out. I think maybe we came on too strong or maybe there was too much expectancy from us, Nicole and I, that is, that it kind of was a turnoff. If you mix in, these people are really over the top and they're sensitive. Holy shit, let's separate ourselves. So this is just me being super transparent 
with some of the self-reflecting that we have done, that I have done, to be able to admit that I'm not saying everybody else is at fault, we're perfect, what's going on? How come no one wants to hang out with us? That's not what I'm saying. This is just the growing pains of life and the way we've handled things. And part of it has to do with our personality mixed in with, I will admit, sometimes a level of desperation to where we're maybe too strong at the very beginning rather than letting the friendship develop. Not that we're forcing things, but like we go all in. We kind of start to share everything. We start to invest ourselves. We start to be there and think about and reach out to and invite and I feel like maybe that is a reason that some people have been turned away. That's another thing that no one's ever said to me, but that I've come up with on my own. This ties in a little bit with the desire for family tradition. Now, my family is interesting because it goes back pretty far with how this all worked out. In fact, the very first split up, the very first big split up of my family, which actually is pretty large, a pretty large family on both sides, had to do with the death of my grandmother, my Momo, who passed away several years ago. Up until she died, there was holidays, get-togethers, dinners, things that we would do all the time as all the cousins got united, all the aunts and uncles showed up, the grandparents. It was a time that I still have memories of that was yearly. And when my Momo died, it was like a rock was just thrown into the lake And then all of the ripple effects that took place was all the people going their separate directions, some finger pointing, some blaming, some upset, some fighting over what was left over from my grandmother. And it just ripped the family apart to where it never really was repaired. That ripple effect is still going on today. And as I've been trying to do, I will take blame for my part of that. I have so many cousins, in fact, some of them on my Facebook that I just don't reach out to. I just don't talk to. I talk to some, but not the others. And, and I don't know why I don't, I think there's a hesitancy built inside of me that I don't want to face the awkwardness or the rejection, but it's been weird. That was over 20 years ago that my grandmother passed away. And there's still the side effects of that situation, including the aunts and uncles. I haven't talked to any of my uncles since then, probably. So that's sometimes just what life gives you and how you have to deal with it and how you make the best of it. My parents separating, which I detailed greatly, was another ripple effect that broke apart the family, quite literally. Some of those side effects are still in place to this day, even though conversations and apologies and forgiveness and all that has taken place, there's still the weird sense of this is not a normal dinner There's some tension here. There's some friction. And aside those few groups, there's just the people who were wolves in sheep clothing, the ones that pretended, the ones that had an agenda, the ones that were grooming us, the ones that had something bigger in mind than just a friendship. And then when things didn't go the way that they should for them, those things fell apart. And then it just takes them whispering in other people's ears. Nicole and I in some of our desperation for friendship began to get sloppy with our boundaries and knowing when to cut things off. And we did notice that when a friendship was started and ended, we would kind of circle back to the same well for the same water, trying to build up that family tradition or reach out or, and it just felt like it was going nowhere. I hope you can read between the lines in this situation. 
This is just me expressing some of the frustrations we've had while taking blame for some of the causes. This is not finger pointing. This is not saying we've done it all right. And maybe while you're listening, you're like, that sounds just like my family or that sounds like our friendship level. So maybe again, this is all normal. Maybe this is just how it is for everyone. And I'm being tricked by Instagram. Maybe I'm just seeing snapshots of people's lives that look like, man, they're hanging out again with somebody. And maybe it isn't like that. Maybe it's more of what I'm describing right now. So all of that to say, with this move, we are now about to reset yet again. Midlife situation. Nicole and I both in our 40s. Children almost fully grown are about to uproot, leave, and start over. I am aware, as much as I am aware that there's not this fantasy to where people hang out nonstop, I'm aware that moving to the East Coast is not going to resolve this. So we're not moving because nobody likes us here, so we're going to find people that like us. That's not what I'm saying. I'm aware that most likely we're going to face the same challenges there. We're going to have to invest ourselves. We're going to have to be careful with our boundaries. We're going to have to make sure that we're not overbearing we're going to have to keep our feelings and sensitivity levels in check. Those are all things we're going to have to do, including with the family that we're going to be around. So I'm not under the impression that a simple five-hour flight is going to just change life for us. But I do know that we're uprooting. I have some strong friendships here. I have some family members here that I have relationships with. Those are going to be ended for the most part. Again, we can still contact each other. We can still reach out, but there's no driving down the street to hang out or get together downtown with my work friends. Like, that's not going to happen, at least not as frequently as it does. And so that's the restart. That's the reset that we're having to do. Nicole and I both see therapists. And this is some of the conversations we have with our therapist, too, about what are we doing here? What's the, Where's the right line for boundaries? Or how do you keep toxic people away? Or how do you know who to invest in? And, and is this all normal? And what are we doing wrong? To, we're trying to continually find out the why. While I'm aware that we're not going to move to the East Coast and suddenly have countless friends knocking down the door to hang out on a Friday night, I do know that we are going to be immediately put into the middle of a large family. That again, if you that also, if you peeled the layers back, you would see that they most likely have the breaks and the divides and the frustrations with each other. I'm not saying that the New York family has got it all together and no one ever has any problems. Even if this move only puts us in the midst of that group of people and suddenly there's the opportunity or the options to get together or to smile or to have a good time or here's a good one, get together and it be uplifting and not a situation to where it's two hours of ridicule or insults. Like just the idea of that almost in itself is very appealing, almost enough to make us pack bags. So if I summarize, maybe you've heard some frustrations in my voice and I'll admit that some of it's there. When concerning my family, my extended family, the question is, what will it take to change? I will spend some time at some point discussing some of the unbelievable losses that our family has had to endure. And I know for me that I have not been the brother, the uncle, the son that I should have been all the time either. So 
you could talk to one of my parents or one of my brothers and they might say, yeah, Paul's talking a lot of trash on this podcast, but he's not really someone that he, so there's truth to that too. I know I'm not the role model. I'm not the poster child here. However, (laughs) I do know that because of some of the big hurts and losses that our family has gone through, that I have made changes, conscious changes in how I approach things and how I interact and how I reach out. Some of it very subtle. I'm not saying that I've started a foundation in anyone's name, but I've made changes. And yet some of the relationships are just as void as they were before. And I mentioned how life can be the cause of that. And maybe that's what it is. Some of these losses are unbelievably unbearable. So to think that there's not going to be any after effects or or changes in people's personality or changes in how people act around each other, especially negatively, is a little foolish. Everyone's grieving process is so different from the next person. And some people shut down and shut off. I struggle with building the relationship with my own parents. There's a lot of finger pointing back my way like it's my fault. And at this point, I'm 45, guys. If, if that's how we're, if that's where we're still at, me knowing what I've tried and what I've done, then this may just be how it's going to be for life. And that hurts. Back to my sensitivity and emotional part of me, that hurts. That's hard for me to deal with. Like, embarrassingly so. Like, to the point of tears. Like, not when I was 10. I'm talking like two weeks ago. I was brought to tears by some things just over a text. And it's, it's weird that I'm not saying I care so much, but it's weird that it still has that much of an effect on me. Like I hurt for these relationships. I fully am aware that once we land, that once we land on the East coast, these feelings I'm having, this hurt is not going to simply go away because there's 1400 miles between us. In fact, it might grow. Part of me is like, well, if I just got out of Texas, I wouldn't have to think about it. Unfortunately, I'm taking my brain with me. <laughs> so, so I'm still going to have to think about it. I'm still going to see Facebook. I'm still going to see get togethers that I'm not a part of. That's still going to take place. So obviously it's still going to hurt. I felt like I had an outline here and then it got a little messy. I don't know if it is, if it, if it's coming together like I wanted to, as I try to wrap this up, I started to talk about some of the reasons that we're leaving, but really the point of this podcast was discussing family and friends and identifying those that you should grow close with and making sure you're not too busy in life for other people that may need you. I suck at this. Some of you know I lost my niece last year. I plan to discuss it at some point, sometime maybe. And it took something that dramatic for me to realize, what the fuck am I doing as an uncle? You know, that's how it always is. If you lose somebody, you always play that game of what could I have done? What should I have done? Could I have done better? And unfortunately, a lot of those answers were like, you could have done a lot more. Uh, Yeah, you could have done better. You weren't doing shit. And I had to deal with that guilt. I'm still dealing with that. But I, even a couple of days after the funeral, made a speech about, I'm going to be intentional about a few things, small changes, but there's not going to be another casket in front of me that I have to wonder when's the last time that I talked to that person, especially in my family. That's not going to happen again. I won't let that happen. So I've made those changes. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying those are some of the things I'm referring to. 
So these thoughts are unfortunately going to be inside one of the boxes that we pack as we load up the U-Haul. So I'm not under the impression that this is just going to stay behind. What is my point? What is my point? What's your point, Paul? I guess I'll just close with the battle cry of be intentional. You may be a family right now that hasn't gone through a death or hasn't had any type of divorce or separation or anything major yet. So be intentional about your relationships. Obviously, you're busy. We're all busy. Everybody's doing what they're doing. Even after the loss of my niece last year, there's been somewhat of back to the normal practices of life today, less than half a year later. So it's not about stopping everything you're doing and dedicating a full-time job to reaching out to family members and hanging out. I'm a little lost for thoughts on how to wrap this. Be intentional. As you can probably tell, I do have <laughs> my feelings just under the surface on a lot of this stuff. And I wrote myself a little outline to follow, and I feel like on accident I kind of peeled the skin back a little bit. Next week, we'll go to the next chapter or phase of this particular conversation. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about each of the kids and, and the changes that they've made and the changes they're making and some of my thoughts around some future plans as, um, as well as some stories that look back into time. Until then, if the chaos of life gets to be too much, just breathe.